please be seated. Well, good afternoon. <laughs> oh, it's going to be good. Good afternoon. Wasn't that a lovely lunch, sitting out in the sunshine? Uh, my name's Philip, and I'm one of the ministers at Chipping Camden Baptist Church, and it's my privilege to welcome you back to this slightly shorter afternoon session, and then we're going to have a break for 40 minutes, and then we've got a longer third session. And so we'll have more time in our third session to worship together, more time to pray uh, for one another as well. Can I just say, uh, reiterate that uh, at the end of the session, which is half past two, parents need to pick up their children. Uh, I only say this because last year we failed miserably at picking up our children during the afternoon break, and it frazzled the uh, children's leaders. So please, would you do that at half past two? Just a couple of things. Uh, If you can't see me, you've probably lost your glasses. So if you've lost a pair of glasses and uh, you'd like them back, please see me. Ha ha. Also, I'd like to uh, plug a book uh, called Making Disciples, How Did Jesus Do It? Uh, If you'd like to read a great book, uh, really easy to read on discipleship. And uh, it's got a quote from Sandy Miller right on the front makes compelling reading both for groups seeking to grow together and individuals. I cannot recommend it more highly. So, well. And uh, they're available. Where's Tony? Tony, Tony, Tony. Tony's at the back there, and he has a number of copies available. I would recommend it to you. I've written a little plug for it as well. So, uh, it's really great. Do take it. It can be used in groups. If you've got home groups, small groups, it can be used in that way or just individual as well. In a moment, we're going to ask Sandy to come and uh, speak to us yet again. Yeah, but we're going to pray first. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time to spend with you together. We bless you for what you've already said to us and what you've already done in our lives. We thank you that whenever we ask, For more of your spirit you give, you are such a gracious and generous God to us. We thank you for life in the river that you give. And we pray for more of that in this afternoon session and in our later session. We pray for a visitation of your Holy Spirit. More and more of you we pray. We cry out more and more of you. We need you more. We love you. We want you more. Would you come? And we bless you for Sandy and Annette. And we pray for Sandy right now that, uh, Lord, that you give him the words to say and give his ears to hear. Anoint him and anoint us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you, Phil, very much indeed, and all of you. Amazing, you're all back. Wonderful. (laughs) Now, I promised you a little diagram. John Collins written this book, Diagram of God's Love. And um, uh, if it could go on the screen, I'd be very grateful. I don't know if you can see it from there. But I'd love you to leave it on, if I may, for a few minutes. Because um, 
he did this diagram, and in, in a sense, I still think it's the key to understanding and developing and maturing in our Christian faith. Because, and it's all part of God's plan to reconcile us as part of the human race so that we are fit to be with him forever. Because as you may know, um, uh, you know, they always say, don't they, that you, we, we choose our friends, but we, we can't choose our relations. And um, you and I are going to spend eternity together. I love your enthusiasm for that idea. <laughs> and the time that we have is best spent getting used to that idea, uh, rather than wishing that other people were different. Um, I remember reading some years ago, you know, um, there was a delightful man um, who's Erasmus of Rotterdam. Now, this is at the time of the Reformation in the 16th century. And one of the reformers reproached him for staying in the Catholic Church, uh, despite its corruption, which everybody knew about at that time. And his reply was, I bear with the church in the hope that it will improve, just as it is obliged to bear with me in the hope that I will improve. <laughs> and I think that's the key, in a sense. We are beginning to get used. And that's why, you remember St. Paul in his description of the body of Christ, you know, he, he sees the limitations to it, because an eye is always an eye, and a hand is always a hand, and we each have different sort of gifts. But actually, um, in the Christian church, uh, in the Christian community, uh, an eye can become a hand, if that's necessary, or a hand can become a an ear or an eye, we can all do whatever needs to be done. Which is why I think St. Paul changes the matter and says, I'll show you a better way, and goes from 1 Corinthians 12 to 1 Corinthians 13, and the better way, of course, is love. Because if there's love, then really there are no problems at all. St. Augustine writing about unity, it says, if you love, you do not have nothing. For if you love unity, whoever in it has anything, has it also for you. Take away envy, and what I have is yours. Let me take away envy, and what you have is mine. Unity springs from the fact that we are a single body. Only the eye has the capacity to see, but it doesn't only see for itself. Even today, he wrote, the most certain sign of the working of the Pentecostal spirit in a Christian community is not speaking in tongues, but the love of unity, which is love. And I think our understanding of all this is helped by our understanding of this diagram. Because in order to fit us, it's only first stage, of course, in order to fit us for heaven, we have to be forgiven and repentant. And repentant doesn't happen in 1923 when you gave your life to the Lord, or whenever it was. I wasn't actually around in 1923. 
and probably some of you weren't either. But whenever it was, it didn't stop them. Repentance goes on all the time. We have to be in a permanent state of, Lord, that's not you. That doesn't sound like you. It doesn't look like you. I'm so sorry. We keep short accounts. Because we're conscious that that's what Jesus went to the cross for. And if there'd been any other way around it, he wouldn't have had to go to the cross. Why would the Son of God have to go to the cross if it wasn't a very serious matter? And it is a serious matter. But of course, he didn't finish there. Um, actually, in his book, God's Diagram, uh, Diamond of God's Love, in his book, he has several versions of this, going starting with one, and then with two, and then with three, and, then with four, and I've shown you the final one, because I want to look at the home one in the context of the Holy Spirit. But from the cross on, in um, God's diagram, in, uh, John Collins' diagram, Jesus went down into the grave. Now, you people, bless your hearts, will understand this even better than some of the rest of us. Because it's rather like that paddling pool out there. If you fill in above the figure two, if you see that, and raise the water up to between one and three, that's where Jesus went, into the grave. Oh, which, of course, and I'm the first to concede this, baptism by immersion is a wonderful visual aid. Because he died. And you would too if they hadn't dragged you out in time. <laughs> well, it's worth remembering, in a sense. And then he rose. He went off up into heaven in number four. And then he poured out his Holy Spirit onto the newly forgiven people to give them the ability to live the Christian life. But the important thing, I think, to remember is that it is essential that we live the Christian life and understand the difference between trying to live the Christian life and trusting to live the Christian life. Which is why that hymn, on, on, you probably don't sing it, on Green Hill, far away, is a little bit deficient. I, I say it very, very humbly. But it says, and try God's works to do. Well, we've got to stop that attitude. It's trusting <laughs> that will enable God's works to be done. Because we've tried trying. Now, the important thing, I think, about this diagram arises out of a conversation that old Bishop Taylor Smith used to have when he was chaplain of general to the forces years ago. And whenever a soldier, or he was a chaplain to the army, actually, whenever a soldier came to him and said, I'm struggling with my Christian life, you don't have to be a soldier to struggle with your Christian life, and I started to talk about it before the break. He would always say to them, when you look at Calvary, what do you see? And the soldier would probably say, well, I see three crosses, and Jesus in the middle, and a thief on either side, and yes, 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 and then some women at the foot of the cross, yes, 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 and some Roman soldiers, yes, yes, yes. What else? And if they had to say, well, I don't think I see anything else, then old Bishop Taylor Smith would say, then I think I understand why your Christian life is giving you trouble. Because when I look at the cross, he said, I see Jesus on the cross, and behind Jesus I see old Bishop Taylor Smith. And when they took Jesus down from the cross and put him into the grave, the bit between one and three there, 
signified by the water. When they put Jesus into the grave, I see them put old Bishop Taylor Smith into the grave. And when they took Jesus out from the grave, up by paragraph three there, number three, I see them taking old Bishop Taylor Smith out of the grave at the same time. And when Jesus went, number four, up into heaven, I see them receiving old Bishop Taylor Smith with Jesus into heaven. So the question is, may I ask you, it's rhetorically, it's not children's church, so you don't have to shout out. But my question to you is, where are you sitting now? And I hope your answer is in heaven. At the right hand of God, in Jesus. Because that's what St. Paul would tell you, and does. In, one, in Colossians chapter 3, he says, seeing that we have been raised with Christ. <laughs> because we've been raised with Christ. We are raised with Christ. The old um, liturgy of Hippolytus, I'm told, hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of years ago, he used to say to the assembled company at the beginning, he used to say, lift up your hearts. And in the Anglican liturgy, we used to always to reply, we lift them to the Lord. In Hippolytus' day, the response was, we have them with the Lord. Because that's where we are. That's where you are. Now, if we understand that, I want to quote you, um, just to give a touch of academic excellence to this otherwise somewhat jejune talk. Let me quote you from St. Cyril of Jerusalem. I've always loved St. Cyril, actually, because he was deposed as a bishop for trying to sell the church silver um, <laughs> in order to raise money for the poor. Well, I'm no St. Cyril at all, but I did try to sell the church silver uh, in order to get a youth worker and was told that I couldn't do that. So it sits there in the safe, uninsured and unused. Never mind, I, I don't want to get onto that. <laughs> but when the Lord returns, I think he'll say, what's that doing in there? <laughs> Why didn't you use it? <laughs> well, Lord, I tried. I did try. St. Cyril said this. This is the stroke of daring that I mentioned, he said. Oh, the extraordinary goodness of God to mankind. Through years of struggle, this is St. Cyril writing in 340 AD. Through years of struggle, the righteous men of the Old Testament were pleasing to God. But what they obtained by a long and heroic service acceptable to God is given to you by Jesus in the space of an hour. In fact, if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and led to heaven by Jesus himself who led the good thief there. So I ask you again rhetorically, where are you seated? And if the answer is anything other than with Christ in heaven, 
Can I will quote you what John Collins quotes in his little book, something that Bishop Latimer in the, 17th, in the 16th century, uh, speaking to one of his country congregations, at some point in his talk, he looks at them and he says, ye hoddy peaks, you huddies, ye doddy pools. <laughs> Nobody knows what he meant, but, <laughs> but they did. Because he added, do you not still understand? And if you do, then everything will change. And you'll begin to understand, I think, what St. Paul means when he writes in Galatians 2.20, I suppose, again, one of the most famous verses in his letters, I have been crucified with Christ. I remember when I first read that, and I remember thinking, hmm, you know, because if you were standing behind Paul as his secretary, or he dictated whatever he said, you know, he'd, um, Paul, you don't look as though you've been crucified with Christ. He writes, you remember, in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And if somebody had said to him, Paul, well, I don't get this, he goes on to say, yeah, 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 I think he would have said, I know, you look as though I'm here. But the life I live, he said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ in me. And the last part of that verse is, who loved me and gave himself for me. For me and in me. Now, the tradition that I come from is very strong on for me, that Christ died for me. Yes, 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 yes. We're not so strong on Christ lives in me. Now, the enemy won't tell you that. The enemy will tell you you're still here and you're still subject to this and subject to that and subject to the other. And the remedy is to see where you are. It was there, it's gone, but never mind. Quite right, quite right, no, no, quite right. Quite right, always be nice to the sound man, don't you? Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, he'll tell you off. The remedy is to say, I don't live here anymore. I have been crucified with Christ, me, too, you, and you know, just Paul, all of us. That's why in Romans 6, you remember when he's talking about these things, he says, they're talking about baptism again, and he says, I don't get this, you know, because some of the people were arguing with St. Paul along the lines of, well, you know, God likes to forgive and I like to sin, so the world is admirably arranged, really. <laughs> and Paul is horrified by the thought. And he says to them in Romans 6, oh, do you not understand what happened? When you were baptized, when you went into that pool, when you went into that thing there, you died. That was the end of you. And you rise, which is why, as I say, emotion is such a wonderful visual aid. And a lot of people would die for the experience because, I think, because they're filled with the Holy Spirit when they come up. And they think that's what happens every time. So whether you go down our route or yours, it doesn't really matter as long as you know that you died. And it's easier to imagine that, I fully concede, if you're immersed. Because it helps you to understand that if they leave you there, you really would die. But they signifying. It's an outward sign of an inward meaning. That's what a sacrament is. Outward sign with an inward meaning. The inward meaning is that you died. And if you don't want to be a doddy pool or a hoddis, Every time the enemy comes to you, say to him, wrong number. Like these calls that we get all the time. Thank you, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. 
Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? I died. Now, are you with me? <laughs> and that means that we have to live by the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, there's nothing else. Because we died. And I think that's what the psalmist means when he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's not a verse for a funeral. It's a verse for today, here and now. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? Because they stopped living for themselves. Amen? <laughs> and they start living for him. And they start saying, Lord, what would you like me to do today? And indeed for the rest of your life. I often think, you know, because young people often talk about, you know, what am I to do? What am I to do? What am I to do? I'm in such a muddle. And, you know, if you're anything like me, when I, after I'd been at the bar for a number of years, uh, you know, I remember kept saying, Lord, I just I felt my roots loosened. And I kept saying, Lord, what would you like me to do? And it's the whole sort of theme of Paul in Philippians 2, where he says, it is God who is at work in you to do of his good pleasure. It works both ways. So he says, well, what would you like to do? And you say, Lord, well, I just want to know, do what you want me to do. And he says, yeah, I know. But what would you like to do? And in my case, I said, Lord, I really want to minister for the rest of my life. He said, okay. Because that's what he put into my heart, that desire. I didn't know whether they'd have me. Honestly, I'm saying that. Down. And I, I would, all I could do is offer myself. And, um, and they did. And so I did. And you know, that's the best thing we ever did, isn't it? No, she, she does agree, really. <laughs> and she doesn't want to cause a scene here, but she, no, no. <laughs> no, she agrees, because we spend our lives together. We're at home most of the time together. Apart from anything else. But the question is, what he is at work in you, because you died. Now it's just up to you, Lord, how you, how you use me, where you use me, what you do. So every time we think to ourselves, would Jesus do that? Would Jesus say that? Hmm. Some of you who may remember Keith DeBerry, he used to quote this. I want to read it to you. Because it's, it's, I think, if I can find it, it's key to our understanding. Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. Christ has no feet but our feet to lead men in his way. It's an old poem, so don't worry about the men bit. Lead everybody in his way. Christ has no lips but our lips to tell them how he died. Christ has no love to, but our love to lead them to his side. We are the only gospel the careless world will read. We are the sinner's Bible. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message written in deed and word. But what if the type be crooked? And what if the print be blurred? What if our hands are busy with other work than his? What if our feet be going where sin's allurement is? What if our lips be speaking of things that his lips would spurn? How can we hope to win them and hasten Christ's return. 
So it does matter. And that's why the fifth wing was the Holy Spirit. Sorry, we finished, thank you. <laughs> to give us the ability to do that. Now, if we see that and understand that, then, um, and we seek with all our hearts, it doesn't mean you have to be ordained, you'll be glad to know. It does mean, though, that your vocation is to follow Christ. Your job is to do whatever you do. For whatever you do, you're doing for him in the place that he wants you to be. And that could be big or little. You could be called to something hugely exciting and obvious and uh, high profile, or you could be called to something really quite small in the world's eyes. But you're called to be faithful and just do what he tells you to do. And then anything can happen. So the issue, which I'd love to look at very quickly with you before we break now, um, before ministry, before tea, the issue is how are we going to keep close to the wind of the Spirit? Because it's a, it's a rough old world out there. And um, we are weak and wobbly, as the Bishop of London sometimes says. And we leak. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit today on the 21st of June, and by the 22nd we've said something or we've done something, and we feel, hmm... And we're social animals. We need accountability, I think. So what I want to suggest to you is, is um, it's just what I think. It, it, it does not, it's not in the Bible, except by inf inference everywhere. We need to do whatever we need to do to keep close to the Lord. Now, I think we need a small group. This group will be too big to do other than feed our general sense of the bigness of God and to hopefully to learn. And to, um, so I think we need a smaller group. Um, Annette and I had three couples that we used to meet with, and I still recommend, I recommend, doesn't have, don't have to do that, but I recommend um, that if you're a married couple, I think you need two, two or three other married couples and meet with them every 10 days, every fortnight, whatever it is, and just get together with them. And um, how would you choose them? Well, they're the sort of people that either you or your wife likes the wife or the husband, and you, the rest of you can cope with the other half. <laughs> or with a bit of luck, you like them both. But it's, it's, it's what I call with a purpose. You don't have to go straight into it. Have them to supper and just look around and say, would you mind if we prayed for the last half hour? And if they're horrified by that suggestion, they're probably not the couple. <laughs> but if you've chosen them as their possible couples, and it works, we used to do that. We would have a very simple supper, and then we would um, go around and hear what we need to pray for. It was an absolute lifesaver for us, because it wasn't a group that I taught or led, or, or just we were all at the foot of the cross. And if the devil can't get at you, he'll try and get at you through your children or your relations. And uh, we found that children, as you know. You can't, the things that worry you, I can't function if my children are not functioning, and I find that very difficult. You know, either they can't get into the right school that you want, or they're not well, or they're being bullied, or they're... And it was wonderful to have a group. I, the group I could have said anything in. I don't think I ever did, but I, I could have said, I'm sick and tired of the whole thing, I'm not going, you, you run the church on Sunday, I'm not even going to come. And, <laughs> and they'd have just said, well, sit down and have a cup of tea, and we'll pray for you. Because we're social animals.
And we have a little group like that. Um, it was slightly larger than that, but it hasn't got to be. But it's, it's got to be one in which you're not sort of leading and, you know, all the time, people peering at you. It's just, it's just friends. But friends with a purpose, who understand you and pray with you. I was very touched, indeed, at the leadership conference that Nikki organised in the Albert Hall a month ago. And um, we had Rick Warren speaking there, as some of you know. Um, I know some of you may have been there, for all I know. Was anybody there? No. No. But it, it, all sorts of... You were there, yeah. Thank you, yeah. Well, Rick and Kay Warren, they're absolutely amazing. They had a son who was, who was mentally ill and took his own life and shot himself. And they grieved publicly, as you can imagine. He, uh, hundreds of thousands of people follow Rick Warren in the purpose-driven church and all that sort of thing, and very high profile. And, and they had to grieve in public in front of everybody. And I, I was very moved because what he said was, uh, you know, when they had to deal with trying to forgive the man who sold their son a gun, knowing that he was mentally unstable and the whole thing was just a disaster. And, and then the police rang him and said, we are going to break into his house because Rick didn't have the keys to the son's house. And the police said, we'd like to meet you there. We want you to be there when, when we break into the house. And um, Rick and Kay described that. But what he said was, which is the point of me telling you this story, was that as I was waiting outside my son's house, the whole of my small group turned up. I turned around and there they were. People who prayed for us and supported us and encouraged us and strengthened us. And that was the lifeblood for them because we're social animals. And um, I thought, isn't that wonderful? And I think we need that. Not just if you're, you know, you, you can be... You can have a, a, a stressful time at work. You can have a stressful time anywhere. You can. Annette and I started that when I was at theological college, because um, uh, as you, as you, uh, if you know our history at all, I've never known a time when I didn't expect and understand and see the need to be prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. I didn't understand there was even an issue in the church at that time. Still not sure what the issue is, but <laughs> I know now that there was. And in some circles, still is, actually, to be honest. But God bless them. It's wonderful in many ways. And we had this little group. And I said to them, you know, the, the only rule in this group is that we do whatever we feel the Lord is leading us to do. And um, we're just going to experiment with the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. We don't know what we're doing. You don't know what we're doing. You don't know what you're doing. And um, anything goes. So... Um, we had this group, we had met every fortnight or whatever it was, and uh, we threw it open, anybody can come. If you know somebody down the street who needs to be prayed for healing, get them in. If you need somebody who wants to support and encourage them, get them in and we'll pray for them. And we're going to experiment. Because with the gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit, I don't think you become an expert in inverted commas. So I'm hoping one day that will happen, but you just have to keep going. You do the next thing. So I said, well, we're going to have a time of worship. We understand about worship. Um, we're going to have a time of worship. And then we'll have a... Anybody can read a passage of scripture. And anybody can lead a verse. Read a, I was telling them last night when Jackie Pullinger came to lead a team with us in North London, one of the things that impressed me hugely was that she brought a team of Chinese men and women. Some of them had only been converted a month or two. 
But she taught each one of them when they came to a meeting to bring something. Not food, but a verse or a picture or a dream or just a word from the Lord. They were geared to doing that, not just sitting as they were and waiting. Um, so they, all they had to do was to judge uh, the um, quality of the sermon. They had to bring something. It's hard to do that in a group of this size, actually, because you can't hear anyway, and it's not geared for that. But in a small group, however that's arranged and organized, or, and I'm sure your vicars and ministers and pastors and people, I'm sure they would do nothing but encourage it. In, in my denomination, when I first started, it was discouraged because there was a general feeling that the small group was probably going to try and pray for the conversion of the vicar, and that was to be not, not to be encouraged. Well, we, we, we might have been, but much more likely we were praying for the, the success of the very commerce of the church, interceding for the area, for the street, for the town, for the village, and praying for the leadership of the church. The most underprayed-for people, um, Billy Graham used to say, were the leaderships of the church. And if you were the enemy, you'd go for them. That's why it's no surprise to me that in America, these televangelists, they can, in, they can influence millions of people in one evening. If you were the enemy, what would you do? <laughs> Wave temptation in front of their eyes, and they can't. It's no wonder. So we need to pray for them. We need to pray for everything and everybody. And um, so we had this group, and one evening... Um, I was just sitting there, and I was thinking, you know, I said, Lord, is there something you want me to say? Because we've all got, you know, something to bring. Uh, on, this, on this business of experimenting with the gifts of the Spirit. We'll work out later whether it was a word of knowledge or a prophetic word or, a, or this or that or that. It doesn't matter. Just do it, and then we'll try and analyze it later. Because I think these lists that St. Paul goes through of gifts and ministries of the Spirit are just indications by St. Paul. These are the sort of things that you can expect when you're all prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then it'll begin to become clear. It doesn't really matter if it's a word of knowledge or a prophetic word. As long as it's encouraging and builds us all up and it comes from the Lord and we begin to understand it, it's good. Then we leave it to those who analyze these things to analyze them. Bearing in mind that most of St. Paul's teaching, certainly his teaching to the Corinthians, was designed to correct an imbalance the other way. As far as we can tell, they did nothing but pray in tongues. And Paul is saying, come on, there is more to life than praying in tongues, which is not our problem, <laughs> on the whole. <laughs> Cuthbert Barnsley, when he was Bishop of Coventry, once said that delirious emotionalism is not the chief danger of the Church of England. <laughs> and uh, I can't help thinking he was right. Anyway, so I um, was sitting there in this meeting one night, and uh, I just felt the Lord saying to me, don't be afraid. And I wasn't afraid, actually. It, it was a wonderful time of life. I was at theological college. We were learning. We were enjoying it. We were reading the Bible. We, it, it couldn't have been better. So I didn't do anything with that. And then I said, now, Lord, is there anything you want me to say? Or to, don't be afraid. And it became so, uh, the Lord made an issue of it with me, actually. And so I couldn't do anything else. That's often the way it works. So I said, Lord, is there anything? Oh, I know. <laughs> so I said to them all, and it, it sounded so naff, if you know what I mean. Um, it, it didn't sound very spiritual. Although, actually, it, practically every time the Lord reveals himself in the Bible, he starts by saying, don't be afraid. 
The angels can't don't be afraid. Why? Because they were terrified. <laughs> so anyway, I, I said, I'm so sorry, but every time I pray, I just keep thinking, the Lord saying to me, don't be afraid. And there was a, a lovely woman there. She lived a few doors along from us. And she had shut her front door. She was due to have a major abdominal operation in the Dryburn Hospital in Durham, where we were, uh, the following day. And as she shut her front door, she said, Lord, I really need to know that this is going to be all right. And you'll never persuade her that that word wasn't straight from God for her. I don't know whether it was or not, to be honest. You can only tell by being obedient. But she danced into the Dryburn Hospital the following morning. And she danced out again. And what it taught me was how God loves to use one person, usually in very insignificant, worldly terms, to encourage another person. God could have told her that if he wanted to. He could have whispered in her ear, don't be afraid. But he didn't want to. He wanted me to have the blessing of encouraging her. In one of Corrie ten, Boom, Bomb, Curry, Curry ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place, I think, do you remember, you may remember, her description of the concentration camp and her sister Betsy uh, came in to see her and she, Corrie had a terrible, terrible cold. They hadn't got anything, no facilities at all and um, her sister Betsy, and she said, have you got a handkerchief? She said, no. So Betsy, and I can remember, I've only ever heard Corrie Timu on tape. She was Dutch, as you know. I never saw her in the flesh, but she went to Gillingham and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, as she left in the train, she leant out of the window, which you could do in those days, and she said to the mind, nestle, don't wrestle, which they all took very seriously. And John Collins has started that renewal in the Holy Spirit in Gillingham and Kent. So Betsy looked at Corrie and he said, she said, Corrie, I'm going to ask the Lord to get you a handkerchief. And she said, I smiled, uh, like you do, she says on the tape. But she said, do you know what happened? She said, about 20 minutes later, uh, a, a woman rushed in from the laundry place. And she said, Corrie, I haven't time to stay, but the Lord told me to give you a handkerchief. And she said, do you know what that means? That God in heaven hears when one of his children cries, and sends another of his children to minister to his first child. Why? God can make handkerchiefs if he wants to, but he wants to use you to be a blessing to you, and you to be a blessing to you, and you to be a blessing to two, and he gets the glory. Because, if you remember my little diagram, you died, and you said, Lord, I'm available to you to do anything you want. I'm just so grateful for the opportunity. And he said, well, pop along to X or Y or Z. Some of you may know this story, but I, I, I can't resist telling you. Again, uh, my friend was a Catholic priest in the Servite Church in the Fulham Road, and the doorbell went one seven, seven o'clock one morning, and he went to the door, and there was a distraught woman outside, and uh, he told me this himself. He said, I said to her, yes, my dear, uh, what can I do for you? And she said, I want to become a lapsed Catholic. So he said, well, you may just have to tell me what you mean. 
and she said, I, I don't know what I mean, but my friend Mary does everything for everybody. If your children are ill, she'll stay at home with them while you go out to work. She'll get your shopping in for you. If you die, she'll wash your body before the undertaker comes to collect you. And every time I ask her what she is, she says she's a lapsed Catholic. <laughs> they know out there what the church would do if the church was the church of Jesus. The only issue is where they're going to find it. And I always used to hope when I was at Heritage into Brompton that our church would, would not be known as the church that clogs up the traffic and makes it impossible to park if you go away for the weekend and can't get back home. And you can't, you know, not for that at all. I hoped it would be known as a church where you'd get help if you wanted it. But people would accept you, receive you, involve you, and lead you to Christ. That's what the Church of Jesus Christ does. And I think a small group like that is absolutely key, partly, I suppose, from our experience, because that's where you begin to learn. That taught me a very valuable lesson. I thought, well, Lord, next time I'll try and be quicker to obey you. And you begin to learn how the Lord speaks to you. You speak it out straight away. Or you do it straight away. When the Lord says, telephone somebody, they're lonely. Pop around with this, pop around with that. And... Um, do something or don't do something. And I think that's absolutely key. And, and again, that's one aspect of it. You know, our, our ancestors had what they called the means of grace, of course. Fellowship, church fellowship is absolutely key as well on top of that. Keeping close. I think you need, you know, again, to quote Rick Warren, you remember, he says in The Christian Life, um, you need to divert daily and uh, withdraw weekly and abandon annually. Well, that's easier said than done, but it's very important. You divert daily. You spend some time reading the Bible every day and praying. Some days it'll be harder than others. Some days you just haven't a minute. But on the whole, you do. And it was he you know, who said, if I don't do that one day, I notice. If I don't do it two days, my wife notices. If I don't do it for a week, the whole church notices. Because we just go in a different direction. And each time we have to remind ourselves that we're dead and we live with Christ in, in heaven. And that's what St. Paul means. Do you not know what happened when you were baptized? You died. And the life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God. So that's very important. Um, Holy Communion or whatever it is that you find builds you up. And praying in tongues is one of them. And I think, if I may, I'll start with a little talk about that in the next session. And we'll do, have a tiny bit of ministry now, if we may, because we need to do ministry all the time. And then this session ends at half past two, and the children, half past two, and then we meet back here at 3.10. So if you have to go, please go. But otherwise, if you'd like to stand, I'm going to pray for you. Father, we're so conscious that you're here with us. We can't see you, but we know that you are here, and we thank you for that. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to speak to us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We're getting used to that idea. Just come and fill us once again. And let's wait on the Lord for a moment or two.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I, I don't know if I'm right or not, but I think the, what the Lord is doing is emphasizing sensation at the moment. Some of you have got a sort of tingling feeling in your hands. Just raise your hands if that's you. Fantastic. Would you like to come to the front? That's an indication often. The Lord wants to remind you that he wants you to be involved in laying hands on people to be prayed for, to be healed. Now, we're all involved in that. But for some reason, God has chosen to, uh, to make an issue of it with you people. And the rest of you can just receive it by faith. I think this is a reminder. Uh, that's fantastic. Some of you are feeling lightness in your feet. It's a sensation of an unusual sensation of lightness in your feet. Would you raise your hands? A sort of movement. No? Well? Is that you? Oh, well done. You've got well done. You've moved. I suspect there are one or two more of you, but never mind. That's often an indication that he wants to use you in evangelization. We're all called to be evangelists. But some of us have a particular anointing for that particular thing. Um, do you do you teach and things? Do you? You go. Foster teenagers. Right. Wonderful. Well, this is an anointing for that, anyway. And if some of you remember that you've just got a lightness in your feet, uh, come to the front, and we'll pray for you. Could some of the ministry team please join in with us? Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for putting into the hearts of these men and women, Lord. Putting into the hearts, Lord, the desire to serve you in particular ways. With healing, and evangelization, and just bringing the good news. We ask, Lord, that at this session here, Lord, you'd fill them once again with your Holy Spirit. Let the power of God come upon them, Lord. Yeah. Fill them, Lord, with compassion. The compassion of Jesus. Jesus filled with compassion, said, be healed. Lord, fill them up with that. Give them that desire. Give them the grouping, the um, anointings, the, the, the small group in which they can learn to experiment and grow in these giftings and ministries. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Is there somebody who's got a sort of, I think it's a whiplashy sort of headache at the back of the neck, top of the neck and bottom of the head, headache. You've had it, I think, possibly all day, but is there somebody here with a, a headache of that kind? Would you let us pray for you? And we'll get one or two of these people who've just been anointed to come and pray for you. Um, I think, is there somebody with a, um, an inflammation of the insides, colitis sort of thing? Uh, uh, I think it's colitis. It's an inflammation of the insides. Would you raise a hand? Would you mind if we prayed for you? We'd love to pray for you. God will never let you get into, sorry, will never let himself get into your debt. He'll always give. And the great rule in the Christian faith is you give and he gives, and he loves to see who can outgive the other. And he always wins. You've got inflammation too? Fantastic. I mean, not fantastic, but yeah. <laughs> We'll pray for you. Could I have a couple of chaps? 
would you come and play Paul too and somebody else? Oh, lovely. We'll play for you. Now, all you do, as you know, is you invite the Spirit to come, and then if you know what it is you want to pray for, you speak to the condition. You speak to the colitis, and in Jesus' name, we break its power. We command it to be gone. And we ask the healing power of God may fill you, flow through you, fill you. Be healed in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Now fill him up, Lord. Fill him up. Now that's what you do. And then you ask how he's feeling. And if he's not quite sure how he's feeling, you suggest he keeps in touch and gives you a chance to pray again if he wants you to. Or, and always send him back to his doctor. You know, the doctor will tell him what he's got wrong with him, and the doctor will tell him when he's better. All you do is to pray for him to be healed. And when the doctor says you're healed, all the glory to God and the doctor. Praise God. I think we'll break now, if we may, and come back at ten past three. Ten past three.